That chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters Streetery lives and is ready to host all Nats fans for the entirety of the 2022 season. Walters would like to thank everyone for their assistance in helping to keep this vital part of Walters business around. Now let's get into the more important stuff and play ball. If you're looking for the best sports bar in Navy Yard, make sure you walk on over to Walters. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The kick of the pitch. Swing and a high drive. Deep left field. Back goes Thomas to the warning track. He's at the wall, and it is gone. Goodbye, a grand slam and a rainmaker. It was for Pete Alonso. And just like that, it's the Mets for the Nationals nothing. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, April 10th, 2022, along with Mark Zuckerman of MadisonSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nationals are 0 and 3 for the first time since 2009. Now, 0 and 3 isn't like that much of a disaster in a 162 game season, but that's pretty remarkable. This is territory in which the Nats have not been since 2009. 0 and 3, a 5 0 loss to the New York Mets at Nationals Park on Saturday night. The Nats starting pitcher for a third time in three games this season. Doesn't even last for five innings. Davey Martinez for a third time in three games this season has to use five relievers, and one of them may have suffered serious injury. And the Nats offense right now just is not doing much. A total of four runs in three games. You know, Mark, I was thinking about it. The Nats offense came alive toward the end of the exhibition season, but uh, I guess that didn't mean a whole lot given uh, how the offense has looked so far. Yeah, it, it didn't. Now, the one thing I'll say, and I feel like we can go back and look at the numbers, but I feel like even in their good years, we were often talking about what's wrong with the offense in April. They very frequently would start off really slow, and it wasn't until the weather started to heat up and the hitters start to get their timing down And then at the end of the year, you look back and say, boy, that was actually a pretty good lineup. So there's a little bit of that. I think there's a little bit of they faced three really good starting pitchers, certainly from the Mets. Chris Bassett, who I think we're all going to kind of learn this year, is an elite starting pitcher. We maybe didn't pay attention to him when he was in Oakland. So there's a little bit of that. It's a little bit of the weather, a little bit of it's just early in the season. But my biggest concern is the lack of lineup depth. The bottom half of the lineup, we've talked about this, is a complete 
black hole right now. The numbers are pretty atrocious. The bottom half of this lineup, six, seven, eight, and nine hitters, they're now a combined one for 37 with 18 strikeouts. That's a problem. You don't need them to be elite, but you need them to be able to at least try to sustain a rally or turn the lineup over. You cannot be a black hole like that. That's exactly what they've been through the first three games. They've been bad. Nelson Cruz is giving them like nothing. I mean, Cruz has not done anything over three games. Uh, Cesar Hernandez has had a few like cheapy hits, but he's not drawing any walks in that leadoff spot. I mean, it's basically been Juan Soto and Kbert Ruiz and Josh Bell, and that's been it in terms of the offense. Saturday night, we see the Nats total just four hits, just one walk, 12 strikeouts, 0 of 4 with runners in scoring position. Uh, we do want to let you know we have a new Nats Chat podcast t-shirt that is out. It is red. It, Unlike the Nationals offense, is glorious. You can get your red Nats Chat podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. Also, if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat podcast, you can email Tim Shovers at natschatpodcast at gmail.com. I mean, We're seeing Davey Martinez tinker with the lineup. We're seeing some different lineups. Each game now has had some little twist to it. On Saturday night, we had Riley Adams as a starting catcher. You know, there's only going to be so much that Davey can do with this lineup this season. Like, guys are going to have to hit at some point. I still do think that this offense can be good. This lineup can be productive. You know, it's only three games, so we're not going to go crazy. But, geez, I mean... As bad as the starting pitching has been, and it has been bad, you actually could make the case the offense has been the bigger issue. They've both been major negatives, but the offense is just giving them nothing right now. Yeah, look, they, you know, this was a scoreless game into the fifth inning. Joanna Dome then gives up a grand slam to Pete Alonso, but that's kind of the one real pitching mistake in the game. And if you had any semblance of offense up to that point, this is a competitive game all the way to the end. And instead, it just felt like we were just playing out the string those last four innings. They're down four runs. It's just not going to happen. So, yeah, you'd like to see just a little glimmer of something there from somebody other than Soto, Bell, or Ruiz. As far as the lineup changes, I think it's really just Davey trying to make sure that everybody is staying engaged early on. They have yet to use a pinch hitter. I think this is going to be a recurring theme. We're going to be talking about this. This is so different for someone who's covered a National League team all these years. It's really different to see this. There's just no thought at all to who's on the bench and is there a spot to use them or you're saving a pinch hitter for a big situation. There's just none of that so far. So, you know, Ruiz is not going to catch 162, obviously. They felt like this was the best one for him to take off and for Riley Adams to catch. And then Ruiz will be back in the lineup Sunday. I would not be surprised if we see Lucius Fox in the lineup on Sunday to try to get him going, give him a chance not to get too cold. He could maybe start at third base for Michael Franco. You know, I don't think I wouldn't really call this tinkering. I think it's trying to keep everybody involved. But ultimately, the lineup is going to be built around the two, three, four, five hitters, Soto, Cruz, Bell and Ruiz. You want to believe in the long run, those guys are going to be fine, but they're probably going to have to carry them here right now. And then you just got to get something from the others. I mean, I, I'm not expecting a lot out of Michael Franco, out of uh, Alcides Escobar this year. But you know what? Lane Thomas needs to be a big part of the lineup. Cesar Hernandez, if he's leading off, needs to be a big part of the lineup. Victor Robles, been great defensively so far. He's got to provide him something offensively. We've been through this. They can live with a not a big-time hitter if he's playing great defense, but they need him to do something to contribute offensively. So far, he hasn't done that. So, when you have that many, you know, zeros in the lineup, which is what they have right now, this is what you end up with. And now you're just counting on 
the three or four big guys in the middle of the order to carry the day. And that's not going to happen every night. Cesar Hernandez has not been their biggest problem, but I am curious to see how long of a leash he has in that leadoff spot. It's been interesting to me how committed the Nats have been to him as a leadoff batter. I mean, Davey talked about that a while ago and it was like, yeah, we want him to be our leadoff guy. And it was like, really? Okay. Like I said, he's had a few hits, but you know, like you look at the hit that he had on Saturday night, bottom of the first, a leadoff infield single on an ultra slow weekly hit grounder on a one-two pitch. Like that's not really doing much for anybody. And like I said, he hasn't drawn a single walk yet. And Davey talked about that in the preseason of like, well, a few years ago, he was drawing walks and we need him to get back to doing that. Well, he's not doing that here so far. So, you know, again, it's three games, right? We're not going to go crazy over it. But last year, Victor Robles got pulled from that leadoff spot. I don't know, five, six games. It's like a week. So I wonder if we're going to see that with Cesar Hernandez. Like, we're not talking about Ricky Henderson here, you know, like it's OK to not have him as the number one guy every game. And, you know, you did have a guy as last season went on in Lane Thomas, who did well in the leadoff spot. Now, Lane did not look good as a batter on Saturday night, but it's been odd to me that like Lane Thomas doesn't come up as a leadoff spot option. Like he actually did it well last year, but he doesn't seem to have any kind of a shot at doing it again, at least so far this season. Yeah. And what I also wonder is, I would say with Thomas and Escobar, they were essentially their one-two hitters last season down the stretch and, you know, did a good job. Thomas especially, but even Escobar did what he was supposed to do, made a lot of contact. But all of a sudden when you're hitting six and seven or six and eight, I mean, Thomas actually hit fifth on Saturday night. That's just not what we think of him as the type of hitter that he is. What I wonder is, is when they're down in the order, are they taking a different mindset, a different approach to the plate? than they did when they were at the top of the lineup, hitting first or second, where the mindset is get on base, in Escobar's case, make contact, set the table for Juan Soto. All of a sudden now you're in a position where you're kind of being expected to drive in runs, and it might change the approach. So I'll be curious how this all plays out. Again, it's three games against a very good pitching team, so you don't want to read too much into it. But is it actually hurting their ability to be good hitters by putting them down in the order when maybe they are better suited, at least from a mindset standpoint, to be hitting at the top of the order. Yeah. And the other guy, too, who I think is worth talking about is Michael Franco. Michael Franco on Saturday night was batting ahead of Escobar, was batting ahead of Adams. Again, last season for the Nats, Escobar was a productive batter. Riley Adams was a productive batter. What has Michael Franco done to warrant batting ahead of these two guys. Michael Franco last season was horrendous for the Orioles, okay? Like, he was one of the worst hitters in baseball. I'm not exaggerating that when I say that. So it's peculiar to me the sort of faith the Nats have put into guys who haven't been here before and don't have great recent track records. Talking about Hernandez, talking about Franco, and I'm not trying to over-inflate these guys who have been here before, but geez, like... This respect that's being shown to Cesar Hernandez and Michael Franco, why exactly? I, I don't get that. I felt like looking at this lineup as I was filling out my lineup card at the beginning of the night, I felt like Riley Adams needs to be higher than this. He shouldn't be hitting eighth. Like what we saw of him suggested in this lineup, at least, he probably should hit sixth. And it does show you what happens when Ruiz gets a night off, the dramatic difference and what you're now dealing with. So now you're not just replacing him with another a backup catcher who takes over his spot in the lineup, but somebody who's down in the order and it bumps everybody else up. And like I said, Lane Thomas, number five hitter, that just doesn't compute. That's not the hitter that we see him as and think of him as. We'll see how this all plays out in the long run. 
look, you only have who you have to work with, of course. But given who they have to work with, you would think that they might be put in a better position hitting in some different spots than where we saw them on Saturday. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. So the offense was not good on Saturday night, but the pitching, the starting pitching anyway, uh, was once again bad as well. The bullpen actually ended up being all right. We'll get to that momentarily. But off Patrick Corbin lasting for just four innings in game one and Josiah Gray lasting for just four innings in game two, Joanna Doan in game three uh, ends up being the LeVon Hernandez-like innings eater and going for four into third innings, but he ends up giving up four runs in those four into third innings. He got off to a good start in terms of preventing runs, but he was putting guys on base. And then things just fell apart for him in that top of the fifth inning. Adone began his outing by tossing four scoreless innings, though he did not have one clean inning. And then came that top of the fifth, and that was just tough to watch. Uh, He gives up a leadoff single to James McCann. He issues a five-pitch walk of Brandon Nimmo. He issues a one-out wild pitch. He issues a one-out nine-pitch walk of Francisco Lindor, who Adon had down 0-2, and then came the big blow. Adon giving up a one-out grand slam to Pete Alonso on a towering blast to left field for a 4-0 Mets lead. You know, Adon was doing that John Lester thing of he was getting through innings unscathed, but he was putting guys on base, but just said, all right, you know, we'll take it, right? Like, at this point, with the Nats starting pitching, you take whatever you can get. And then, sure enough, came that fifth inning. He's facing batters for a second time, if not a third time, and uh, things just unraveled, and it's amazing to me, Mark. Davey has had to use five relievers, exactly five relievers in each game so far this season. And as we've been saying every night, this is not a sustainable model oh. for you over the long season, especially when there's no off days coming up. So, yeah, it is a concern with a don't. The first two innings, I mean, it took 43 pitches to get through two scoreless innings. That's a problem. Now, the good thing then is he followed that up with two quick innings, seven pitches in the third and 11 pitches in the fourth, and that was a direct result of Jim Hickey and Davey Martinez in the dugout telling him, 
focus on your fastball, focus on just throwing strikes, make them put the ball in play. And he did a good job of that in those two innings. Now, by the time you get to the fifth, and again, I, I feel like we're saying the same thing every night, but we're seeing this recurring pattern. I can't say I'm surprised by it. When you have starters who have not really been stretched out, and in this case, a young kid making only his second big league start, you're facing a lineup for the third time on a cold night when you aren't really fully where you're going to be later in the season in terms of stamina. It was almost inevitable that that was going to happen. Now, I don't think he should have been pulled any sooner. You can't, as we've been saying, when you're using the bullpen as much as you are, you can't make that move. You have to give the kid a chance to get through that inning. But The Alonzo Grand Slam was about as predictable a thing as you're going to find. You just saw it coming the way this was going. And I will say that had Davey brought in Austin Voth at that point instead, it still would have been a Grand Slam, right? We all knew what was going to happen next. There was no question that that was going to be the result. Well, and it reeked of last year when the Nats gave up about 4,000 Grand Slams. You know, I mean, last year, was there ever a team with a worse discrepancy in terms of how it did offensively with the bases loaded versus what it allowed when opposing teams had the bases loaded? The Nats were terrible with the bases loaded offensively last year, and they gave up one Grand Slam after another last year. And it was like, here we go again when Adone gave up that Grand Slam. So over the course of those four scoreless innings that began Yoan Adone's outing, we did have another hit-by-pitch from a Nats pitcher of a Mets batter in this series. This really is remarkable how this keeps happening. Here's Starling Marte. Pitch. And he's hit with a breaking ball. A 76-mile-per-hour curve. And the home plate umpire, Jordan Baker, is getting right in between Marte and any direction of going toward the mound. He was hit with a curveball at 76, and Baker is walking with Marte. Now, I don't think any of these have been on purpose, but this is becoming almost absurd. Adone tossing a scoreless top of the third despite issuing a one-out hit by pitch of Starling Marte. And, you know, people got excited over this, and I think we did again see the showmanship from the Mets manager, Buck Showalter. He did the Buck schoolteacher-like stare which uh, if you follow the Orioles during Buck's time as their manager used to do all the time, he'll like, he'll look at you and he like won't stop looking at you. And it's like, you know, a teacher who's disappointed in you or something like that. So I got a kick out of that. I think Buck is very clearly trying to galvanize his guys with him being all sensitive to these hit by pitches. But it is remarkable. I mean, the Nats are having a very hard time not hitting Mets batters right now. That is absolutely true. And here's what's also true. It was a first pitch slider that hit Starling Marte. There is no intent there. It's impossible. I don't think Ioana Dome would know how to hit a batter, even if somebody asked him to do that. So I get the frustration on the Mets part, and I agree with you. I think Buck is using this as a way to motivate his own guys, try to win them all over. There's a whole lot of mental gamesmanship going on over there. So yeah, there's a big discrepancy here. I think it has way more to do with Nationals pitchers, particularly young pitchers, not being real good with their command right now, not having sticky stuff to grip a ball on a cold night. The Mets pitchers are better. Right now, these two pitching staff, there's no real comparison between them. I think that's the reason for this. There's nothing else to it. I think Buck is trying to turn it into something else for, you know, arguably good reasons from his standpoint, but I hope it doesn't then produce anything more like what we saw on Friday night because there's no reason for any of that. 
Yeah, no, it might. I mean, Buck can be a bit of an agitator. And Buck, you know, he knows that he's taking over a Mets team that's had a lot of problems in recent years, has a lot of big money guys and egos. And, you know, Buck's been out of managing for a few years. And this may well be his last shot at managing because he's an older guy and managers are skewing young now for all kinds of reasons. So, you know, and he's back in New York. So I think that's part of it, too. So I think there's a lot happening here. But yeah, Buck's trying to use this to his team's advantage. And (laughs) the Nats keep giving him ammunition with these hit by pitches. I mean, it really has been something else. So on Friday night, we had Steve Ciszek last for just two pitches and get ejected. In this game on Saturday night, we see another Nats reliever throw a few pitches and then end up leaving the game. Now, the Nats bullpen, yes, Davey had to use five relievers, but the bullpen ended up being effective. The five relievers combined for one run in four and two-thirds innings. But I do want to ask you about Mason Thompson because this was scary. Top of the eighth, he throws three pitches. He, after his third pitch, uh, which is way off, is shaking his right arm. 2-0 delivery, high and outside, 3-0. Bright spots tonight for Kyle Finnegan and Tanner Rainey. Well, this is, this is not a bright spot because we're going to get a visit from the trainer as Thompson appeared to have some discomfort on that last delivery. He's kind of grimacing a little bit, cold weather. Paul Osar, the Nationals Director of Athletic Training out there, along with Davey Martinez, home plate umpire, Jordan Baker also out there, everybody coming in. He's he's already coming out. Oh, boy. And we've seen in the past when pitchers do that, that can be a sign the guy ends up needing Tommy John. Like, it's a scary thing when a pitcher does that. Immediately, he gets taken out of the game. What do we know about the status of Mason Thompson here? Well, they're calling it a biceps injury. That's what Davey Martinez said after the game. They said that he got x-rays, which are negative. I'm not sure what you x-ray in your biceps, which is a muscle. I'm not entirely sure what that would be looking for. It was an odd thing, but then he said he's going for an MRI on Sunday morning. That will tell us a lot more about what's going on. But what's interesting is Thompson told them he felt great in the bullpen, thought he was like in good shape. He comes out to pitch in the game and they could tell something was wrong. His arm slot was down. It was dragging. Certainly on that last pitch, you saw the way that Thompson reacted to it. He didn't summon them out there. They went out there because they could tell that there was a problem. And it wasn't a very long conversation before he walked back with Paul Lassard, the trainer, to the dugout. So this is a younger reliever that they have some high hopes for. He was acquired from the Padres in the Daniel Hudson trade. We saw him a little bit last year. There's some potential there, a little erratic. You hope this is nothing serious, that it's going to cost him significant time because this is an important year for him to try to establish himself as a part of this bullpen moving forward. But at the moment, you do have to be a little bit concerned that it could be something. We'll just have to see what the MRI says. Yeah, certainly wish the best for Mason Thompson. But like I said, we did see some good stuff from Nats relievers. Kyle Finnegan, a perfect top of the six with two strikeouts, and he threw just eight pitches, seven of which were strikes. Boy, would we love to see more of that from Nats relievers. Seven strike, eight pitch innings like that. Finnegan looked good. Tanner Rainey tossed a scoreless top of the seventh with a couple of strikeouts, so that was good to see. Uh, Austin Voth did have some issues, although uh, he did end up getting the three outs in the top of the fifth. Andres Machado allowed one run in two innings. You know, a bright spot for the Nats, in addition to the bullpen, was their defense. Uh, We again had multiple standout defensive plays from the Nats in this game. And, you know, it's been remarkable to see this over these first three games. The pitching overall has been bad. The offense overall has been bad. But the defense really has been outstanding. Blast in the air to straightaway center. Robles racing back. This one way back on the run. Robles leaps and he catches it and slams into the wall. As bad as those other two things have been, 
that's how good the Nats defense has been. We're seeing like a bunch of highlight worthy plays. Victor Robles on Saturday night had multiple nice catches. He's not doing anything as a hitter, but uh, those two warning track catches that he made, including the one in the top of the six, a nice leaping catch of a deep uh, first pitch flyout by Brandon Nimmo for the second out. Uh, there was a Lane Thomas outfield assist. Lane Thomas went 0 for 4 with three strikeouts on Saturday night. But Lane Thomas uh, made a nice hopping backhanded catch of a Luis Guillorme fly ball in left field foul territory near the barrier, then threw out Travis Jankowski in his attempt to advance to third base on a tag up. Uh, Thomas in the top of the third had a nice running and leaping catch of a Brandon Nimmo fly ball on the warning track for the first out. We did get that miscommunication between Michael Franco and Cesar Hernandez that resulted in the run that uh, Andres Machado gave up. But otherwise, the defense, again, like you can point to, I don't know, three or four really nice plays by the Nats in the field on Saturday night. And this, I got to say, is surprising. I don't know that we expected that to be the strong suit of this team. You know, you knew Victor Robles is an excellent center fielder when he's going well. You knew that Lane Thomas is better in left field than in center field. But Josh Bell has been outstanding. Escobar, of course, was great on opening night. That's some encouraging signs. And it is... If you're going to have pitching issues, and at least at the moment, if you're not scoring a lot of runs, well, defense is a way to keep you in games and keep these games competitive. So far, they've held up their end of the bargain on that. And that play, it's really the only defensive mistake they've had in three games. They're in the shift, and I don't know why Franco like cuts off Hernandez. It's a routine grounder to second. Cuts him off completely and it botches the play. And that's why Machado gave up the run. So I don't even want to like charge Machado. I know technically he gets it. It was scored a double, and I still don't know how that works. But in my mind, the bullpen had a scoreless evening, and that's great, especially Finnegan and Rainey. That was really important. They hadn't pitched yet. They were the only two who hadn't. They were going to pitch tonight no matter the score. They were going to find their way in there. Uh, for Finnegan to be that efficient was great. For Rainey to be throwing strikes. And Devossi was, you know, starting to tick up more around the mid-90s. That's good. You know, one of these days, they're actually going to be in a position to use their best relievers late in the game to try to close it out, or at least in a close game. And I'll really want to see how they respond to those spots. But so far, Finnegan, Rainey, and Doolittle on uh, Friday night, they've looked very good. It's, you know, small sample, one inning apiece. But I'm very encouraged by that. Now I want to see how does it work when they're pitching 7-8-9 in a competitive game. Well, perhaps we'll get that on Sunday afternoon, game four of this series against the Mets at Nationals Park. The Nats trying to avoid a season opening four game sweep here to the Mets. Eric Fetty will be taking on Carlos Carrasco and uh, the bar is low, but can we get a Nats starting pitcher to go at least five innings? I mean, I don't know when we're going to see that, Mark. I remember as last season went on, we did not see that often. Nats starters going five I hope, like heck, Fetty is the guy to do that. We'll see. He's coming off, I know, the oblique issue, but that doesn't seem to be a concern, does it? No, I'm going to go out on a limb, Al, and predict that Eric Fetty will give them at least five innings All right, on Sunday. We'll take it. He had a good spring, kind of quietly. And yeah, there was that oblique thing that kind of messed him up a little bit, but he came back and was fine in his last start, actually pretty good in his last start. There's a little bit of a confidence to him this spring that we don't always see. And it's funny, you know, every year he's the guy who's competing with Joe Ross and Austin Voth and will he be the fifth starter or not? And he's jokes about how he's always the guy that if Max Scherzer couldn't go, well, if Eddie, you better be ready to step in and take that start. And he's not that guy. Like he's essentially had a rotation spot secured for him from the get go 
for the first time in his career. And with that, I think there's a little bit of confidence that we haven't seen from him in the past. He's pitched well. Remember before he got hurt last summer, he was on a really nice stretch for the first time in his career. And Eric Fetty, for the first time in his big league career, has finished off seven shutout innings. You know, let's see. But I like what I saw from him in the spring. I like the attitude he seems to be bringing to this. I think there's a chance here that he gets off to a good start and actually kind of finally solidifies himself as a big league starter. I could be wrong. He could be out of the game in the fourth inning. It could all fall apart on Sunday. But I'm going to go out on a limb and predict a good, uh, at least by 2022, you know, first week standards, a good start by Eric Fetty on Sunday. Well, I hope he does well. You know, his season last season ended up really coming apart at the seams because he did get off to the good start. And then he ended up really unraveling to where last season ended up being, you could argue, his worst season. He finished with an ERA of 547 over 29 games, including 27 starts. I mean, it was not pretty as the season went on, so much so that we discussed, Mike, the Nats non-tender Fetty. And they didn't. And it's a good thing that they didn't because they need him as part of their pitching depth. But you know, he's in his age 29 season and we've had the Fetty conversation many times, but it's like, all right, man. I mean, the Nats are a team on which there is such opportunity if you show any sort of aptitude for being able to pitch. And on most other teams, I don't think Eric Fetty would still be getting opportunity. But on this team, in this situation, off a 547 ERA season, he's getting that opportunity. So we'll see. One thing he did do last season, his strikeouts went up. He became more of a strikeout pitcher, 8.6 strikeouts per nine innings. So if that's kind of what he is now, that's encouraging. And perhaps he can use that to his advantage. Yeah, he did. He was starting to throw to all quadrants of the zone. He incorporated that cutter that would go in on left-handed hitters that he had a lot of success with. There are glimpses there where you could see that and say, this guy can be a quality big league starter. He just needs to kind of put it all together again. But like I said, I liked what I saw from him in spring training, and we'll see now how it translates to the regular season. But yet they do need it because one of their other five projected starters may not actually make his first start. Annabelle Sanchez is TBD for Monday in Atlanta because of a stiff neck. And they were going to meet after the game on Saturday to make a decision if they think he can go. And if not, where else they would look for a starter on, on Monday. Well, when you're relying on a guy late 30s, didn't even pitch in the majors last season, you're taking a chance that he could do something like this and on a plane flight back north, suffer a stiff neck. I mean, geez, I didn't realize his neck thing was as serious as uh, it apparently is. So he needs a special one of those special pillows you use on the plane to help you sleep, you know, to help secure your neck. Yeah, the wraparound pillow. You would think at this point he's been in the big leagues long enough he'd know, you know, how to get a good night's sleep on a plane, but guess not. Well, remember Max Scherzer? He hurt like his neck or his trap, and it was supposedly because of the pillow in a hotel room or something like that? That's what he claimed, and he was a last-second scratch. It was in San Diego, and Matt Grace started that game and did really well out of nowhere. We kind of scoff at the idea of like on a plane or in a hotel room, you wake up with a stiff neck, but it happens, I guess. It does happen to guys and maybe even more so when you're 38 years old and haven't been in the big leagues for a couple of years. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast and Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we want to let you know that Nats chat is again on the radio this season, Sunday mornings at nine on both 1061 ESPN 
in Richmond and now Sports Radio 96.5 FM and 8.50 AM in the Hampton Roads area. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. We thank everyone for listening. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Now the 2-2. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with high heat. Yorme chased one up and out of the zone, and Yoan Adon gets strikeout number three and strands that runner in scoring position. He's pitched four shutout innings so far tonight in his second major league start. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.